now I will gladly welcome up my poor husband's up the back there with the baby and he's going to be sharing the word of God today raise to your feet and let's give God a round of applause for what he's doing today what words he's got to speak thank you Lord thank you Father God for your word in Jesus name awesome all right yeah you may be seated yeah I won't keep you standing for too long I hope we haven't exhausted all of the he is alive statements for the day because, you know, got to love an Easter service for the he is alive statements. Yeah, so my name's Pastor Timothy. I'm the location pastor here at MacArthur. Welcome to all our regulars and to our guests as well. So good to have you in the house. I just want to begin today by inviting the Holy Spirit to be a part of what we do here because at, at the end of the day, you know, you can look around at this place and you might like what you see or you might not. But when the Holy Spirit rocks up, boy, I can tell you, you're going to love that. So let's just pray and open our hearts to receive that. God, we thank you, Father, for your church. We thank you for this blessed day, Easter, when you called us family, God. When we could come into this place, Lord, and know that you will always rock up when we gather in your name and to hear the truth with hearts willing to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Have I even said Happy Easter yet? Happy Easter, by the way. Uh, Cherie did a bit of a plug on our Good Friday service, and I just thought it was such a privilege to gather together with fellow believers uh, to defend Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the things that we unpacked on that night is that Jesus was never allowed a fair trial, and never allowed witnesses in his name. And it seems very unfair to me because now we, the church, bear witness to the truth of his goodness, and especially uh, it's evident in our lives. So that was a really special night. And I'm going to be picking up where we left off from Good Friday. Today's now the Easter Sunday. And Jesus was dead. You know, some people, some people in contemporary society have made that claim, God is dead. Have you ever heard this claim before? Do you know, God was dead. Jesus was crucified. We're picking up this story with that in mind. These people at that time knew nothing of resurrection. God was dead. The 12 disciples, his closest friends, had locked, himself, had locked themselves away in an upper room that was just full of fear and sorrow. But meanwhile, three wise women, all of whom just so happened to be named Mary, they were tired of, they were tired of the tears and they didn't know what to do with themselves and so they had this great idea. They gathered some spices together and they decided to go and anoint Jesus' dead body. You're familiar with this story? Heard this before? Did you know that all three of them were named Mary? I thought that was, that was a bit shocking to me. You're a bit quiet. I'm going to need you to pep it up a bit, you know. The energy you give me is the energy I can multiply, amen? Awesome. Cool. So... From the top of my head, outwardly, their idea seems pretty good. They didn't know what to do with themselves. And so they thought, well, 
Since we've lost the light of the world, maybe we'll just go and try and find him again, you know. We'll just go and anoint him. And this seems like it makes sense, like it's a good thing to do. But I can't help but feel like it's just a little bit tinged with a spirit of religiosity. And here's why. It's that defeatist spirit. If God is dead, then at least I can go and anoint the flesh. This is a spirit that we too can fall into the trap of. This is the essence of religiosity. If God is dead, if God is absent, if he is unable to move, then the least I can do is maintain tradition, hold things in line. That's the essence of it. So we understand, see, this is what happens when we understand God according to the law. He becomes a figure that just judges and punishes, and we misrepresent him as the doom of the tomb instead of the face of grace. Do you understand that? And this makes sense. Like, if, we, if you think about it, this actually makes sense because from our perspective up until this time he'd barred us from Eden he'd chosen the Jewish people at the at the seeming expense of the Gentile he'd barred us from the inner sanctum of the temple we couldn't access these places the Ark of the Covenant it just seems like time and time again throughout the Old Testament it's God locking the door and saying you can't come in why does he keep pushing us away like that why doesn't he let us come into his heart At least that's how the journey of those three Marys began. That's the way it began. Until it occurred to them somewhere along the way, Mark 16, 3. Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And in this simple term of phrase, these women gather up the mournful inquiry of the whole universe. Who can do this feat? Who can do it? Who can roll that stone away? It's a futile sigh. We couldn't prevent them from crucifying him and now we can't even access his dead body. And it leaves us echoing another sentiment found in the scripture, Luke 24, 21. We had hoped that he was the Messiah that he had come to rescue us. How can God be dead? We had all our eggs in one basket. We've been waiting since the dawn of time for the chosen Redeemer. And he's dead, so where does that leave us? Who's got the power to change these circumstances? You know, having realized the stark reality of a three-ton door without a handle. That's what the tomb door was, a three-ton round stone without a handle on a decline. The chance of opening this was impossible by their standards, and yet at this moment, something miraculous happens. They should have slunk home with their tail between their legs in grief, but something of Jesus' life 
Something of Jesus' life must have rubbed off on these women because they didn't go back home. They continued on their journey in expectation and in faith. And what happened next? Revelation. The door did come open, but this is what I find so amazing about this story, that the faith of these three Marys, before they'd seen a single thing, that in their heart they had already rolled the stone out of the way. I was saying this morning before church as we were praying, I was saying, you know, God could have just been resurrected right there on the cross straight away. Could have. Could have done it any number of ways. But he allows the gap so that our faith might be multiplied. Before we see a thing, when we read our word and when we know the character of God, oh, we can roll that stone away, church. We can roll that stone away. And here's another interesting point that I, that I personally like. See, it took the faith of one Mary to bring Jesus forth from the womb. But it took the faith of three Marys to resurrect him back to life again. How good's that, church? How's that for multiplication? That's the reward for that first Mary. That we multiply ourselves when we step out that way boldly in faith. Matthew 28, 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heavens, and going to that tomb, he rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. I love that he sat on it. To me, this angel seems a bit cheeky, you know, like he's just like, check out what I did, you know, no fear. His appearance was like lightning, his clothes were white as snow, and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I love the irony as well that when the, when the guards encountered the power of heaven, they became like dead men. The living became like dead men. I love that little detail because that comes down to our faith response that when the heavens move, those people that have been faithfully expecting it no longer need to fear, but those that have been complacent, those that have sought to roll that tomb in the way, they're shaking like dead men. They realize the death that's inside them. They can't comprehend what's going on here. And for those that know the story of Genesis... In this moment, what we are seeing here is a complete reversal of mankind's fall in the Garden of Eden. Remember that moment when through sin's deception, it entered the world through women believing the snake. And here we have three women who are going to reveal the truth to the world. A reversal. Angels, after we had sinned, angels became like God's bouncers, you know. <laughs> Have you ever thought of them that way? <laughs> Just see angels like bouncers, you know, sunny's on. No entry, can't come any closer. You cannot come into the presence of God. You cannot access Eden anymore. But here we see angels like God's ushers. 
They've rolled the stone out of the way, rolled the red carpet out. Come in and see, ushering us into the presence of God. And what do we find when we get in there? That the largest claim of sin, that we would have suffering and death, those hollow bandages, cannot hold the body of Jesus Christ. Death, sickness, suffering cannot hold us. A complete reversal. Come on, church. This is, this is earth-shaking stuff. No pun intended. The ground literally shook as the door rolled. Everything being flipped on its head, and I want to take it one step further. God's intention for man, Genesis 1.28, to tend the garden, to be fruitful, to fill the earth, and to subdue it. Now, even in Jesus' day, we had proved quite effective at filling the earth and subduing it. But the problem that we had with fruitfulness is perhaps best uh, highlighted in the disturbing verse Ecclesiastes 1-2, where the second wisest man in human history states, everything is meaningless under the sun. Have you read that scripture before? Fruitlessness. Everything is meaningless. Doesn't that just crush your spirit to hear that? What is left to live for if everything is meaningless? See, the stone that was rolled away, it represented something. It represented the cornerstone of Satan's plan to debunk, to dethrone, and to destroy God himself. Sin had succeeded in killing God. It had succeeded in destroying mankind's fruitfulness. Can you see it? Can you see it? <laughs> but when that stone got rolled away, human history was literally being rewritten into the book of life. So that today we stand united in heavens and on earth. We have all access to all of God. God's original intention that we would fill the earth, subdue it, and be fruitful. We have Christians across the whole globe declaring the goodness of God, bearing spiritual fruit in their life. See, God never gave up on us, church. He never gave up on us. For 6,000 years of our exile from His presence, He never gave up on us. He was partnering with us to do the thing He'd always asked us to do. And now here we stand, the whole world celebrating Jesus Christ. God wins. Doesn't matter what the devil tries to do, we're learning a lesson here that God is going to win. See, again, Jesus could have just materialized instantly outside of the tomb. He could have left that stone where it was. But he wanted, to, he wanted us to know who he is. He wanted us to know 
what he's done. See, I'm talking here, I'm talking again to that spirit of religiosity that places God always above, above, above while he's desperately right beside you trying to say, can I have something real with you? I didn't create you to live a lie. I created you to be with me. I'm going to show you what this is all about and all you got to do is see it. That's it. He's there trying to pray our eyes open. Don't want to know God. Don't want to hear you, God. Busy doing my own thing, God. No time. He wants us to know him. And he wasn't slinking out in shame like some kind of prison break. He was slow walking. While all of Satan's plans exploded behind him, slow walking. Let's get it. Slow walking like a boss. <laughs> While all of Satan's plans, the cornerstone that that stone in front of the tomb represented, everything just came crumbling down for Satan. If you listen really carefully, you can hear a little, you can hear Satan's little voice going, No! His claim that he could be above the stars, his claim that he could take the throne of God, null and void. And I've wrote here as well that we need to start forgetting that complacent statement, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and start thinking of it this way, that it's ashes to fire and dust to glory when you walk with Jesus Christ. <sighs> Reversing it, flipping on it on its head. I love that heaven's first action after Jesus' resurrection was rolling that stone out of the way. What a fantastic metaphor. But here's something that you might not have known. That Jesus' stone is still rolling, church. It's still rolling. And the heavens might have started it off, but as we pray... On heaven as it is in earth. We're now partnered with the heavens in this snowball effect called Jesus Christ. And we just keep it going. Every transformation, every testimony, keeping that ball rolling. In fact, during my research, I actually found a picture from National Geographic of the church rolling the stone out of the way. And I'm going to bring it up. There you go. Behold, the mighty dung beetle. Don't you love the way that God reveals his nature through nature? Go figure. No wonder he declared after he finished creating it that it was good because it reflected him. And... Uh, I had this image stuck in my head all week, so now I'm giving it to you. That's great. None of us will ever think of rolling the stone out of the way the same ever again. So that's my gift to you today. <clears throat> but let me tell you about the dung beetle. It takes other animals' fecal matter that they do not digest properly. 
And using the position of the sun, it rolls it into a ball and it takes it to a safe place. And in the interim, it's actually fertilizing all of the ground evenly that it covers in the meantime. Once it gets that dung ball to a safe place, it then makes a home out of it. And it lays its young in there so that they can be sustained by it, protected by it. And then they all proceed to eat it. Now, isn't that yuck? Everyone say yuck. Okay, we're in the same room. Good. I bet you never thought we'd be talking about this stuff today. Me neither. (laughs) Now, why am I talking about this beyond humility for us or beyond memorability for today? If you haven't noticed, mankind is terrible at digesting their spiritual experience. Terrible at it. And so when I look at the life of Jesus and when I consider the responsibility of the church, we take all of the brokenness and we roll it into something useful, into something life-giving. Now, we did, we did an exercise on uh, Good Friday whereby the trial of Jesus, when we began making the artwork, turned into a trial of the world on us. And there were words that people brought out that had been hurtful to them. I'm going to read some of them out. Annoying, stupid, dumb, crazy. And we as Christians, we're not scared of this. We're not scared of the devil's stone. We're going to roll it up and we're going to push it out of the way so that the thing that the devil had planned on being a wall to stop us getting from God, to stop us getting to God, it becomes our very foundation It becomes our home. It becomes our sustenance. It's a foundation of grace. Divorced marriages. Disobedient children. Addictions. We, the church, say, give it to us. Give it to us. It's probably a bad time to make a joke, but I was going to say, we're going to have a ball. Bear with me, church, bear with me. I just want to mention a couple of other little things about the dung beetle. The way it pushes the ball I found interesting. It turns itself upside down. Some of the problems I see with the church nowadays and with Christians nowadays is they don't turn their lives upside down to push other people's stinky circumstances for them, with them, to give them access to Jesus. Turning your life 
upside down to give people access to the hope that has been given to you by heaven. Here's another fact. Did you know that the dung beetle is the strongest animal on planet Earth? That it can pull 1,141 times their body weight. Meaning that unlike the Marys, the three Marys at the start of the service that I told you, the question shouldn't be, who will roll away the stone? But Lord, give me a bigger stone so that when I roll it out of the way, that more people might come to know you. More people might come to have access to Jesus Christ. More people might never suffer again, never have to worry about disease again. That's what heaven's going to be. That's what that bridge of faith is going to do. We're walking that bridge of faith because when we get to heaven, when we're ushered into the presence of Jesus, never again, never again, that stuff is going to be at our foundation, but God has built us a heaven that is never going to have to worry about those things again. The reason why you feel dissatisfied with death, why you feel dissatisfied with suffering, while you know that morality, even morality itself, is because you are in relationship with God. Whether you acknowledge it or not, we desperately need Him. We need that stone pushed out of the way because now we can access His life. Now we can know there's nothing is preventing from being with Him. Church, I'll get you to stand to your feet. Ancient Egyptians thought so highly of the scarab, the dung beetle, that they worshipped it. They believed that just as the dung beetle navigates via the sun, that it was actually the God of the sun that rolled the sun through the sky, that giant flaming ball. You know, they might have been wrong about that, but I can tell you today that the God that we worship in heaven has so much faith in you that he has entrusted you with the life of his son. He has entrusted you with the hard things in this world that we might roll them out of the way, that we might create a home amongst those things, even though that's hard, and that we might be in the presence of Jesus Christ. I think it's time for us to sing a praise song to God. What do you reckon? All right, let's sing a praise song to God, church.